Why would he pick this fight? He loved, he loved Trump. Loves a good fight. <laughs> there's so many fights going on. You have to distract from the other fights, right? So if there's too many fights, you can't pay attention to one fight. But now there's so many that he's got to be distracted by. Uh, he's, 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 he's in command of it all. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Uh, Barstool Politics. Um, another crazy week, but we have a special guest with us. Bill, do you want to introduce? Yeah, we are joined uh, once again by Professor Tom Cavanaugh, professor at North Central College, uh, business law, a, uh, a sharp legal mind, and I, I couldn't think of a, you know, we got lucky that this this week actually worked out with all the legal questions we're going to be yeah. dealing with today. So thanks yeah. so much for joining us, Tom. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, and of course, Phil. How are you doing, Phil? I'm good. I've spent the last uh, week in the hanging out in the Berkshires at a resort, so I am relaxed and uninformed. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you say earlier that a bear attacked your neighbor's fence, though? Yes, a bear came down our driveway last night and destroyed our neighbor's fence to get at uh, the bird feeder. At least that's the story we're going with. <laughs> Interesting. Um, might as well just go into it. Um, when did the did the tweet come out this morning or was it last night? Uh, this uh, this morning. So it started. Uh, yeah, this uh, late this morning. Uh, Donald Trump tweeted out in a four part tweet. Um, saying after consultation with my generals and military experts, then he went on, and it, there were time between there was time between each tweet. He said that uh, transgendered individuals will no longer be able to serve in any capacity in the U.S. military. Our military must be focused on decisive and overwhelming victory, and cannot be burdened with the tremendous medical costs and disruption <clears throat> that transgendered in the military would entail. And he finishes with. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, it's your question. Like, I, I still don't know why he would would pick that. Uh, it seems like something that's not going to get him a whole lot of political traction. So this was done. A, was it a day before that? The was it a six month? There was. I think it was a six month extension that they had um, to vet the concept of transgenders in, or transgender people in the military. Right, so right? the military Before is undertaking this study, which is ongoing, right? right. Yeah. Uh, and so John McCain actually released a statement today talking about that, saying this is premature, we should uh, celebrate soldiers of all types mm. and wait for this uh, report to be done before we make any rash decisions. I mean, you can... And then, and then I assume that he voted to support the ban after he said that. Obviously. <laughs> Uh, Leave the poor man alone, okay? <laughs> uh, Orrin Hatch, uh, staunch conservative, came out and was incredibly critical of this. Uh, so. I haven't seen one person in support of this yeah. as of yet. It, it, I, apparently, e even the military was caught off guard by this, yeah. was my impression. The Pentagon was not expecting this. Yeah, he said he so. consulted with his generals like a Middle Eastern dictator. Um, yeah. But then there was a report that they went to go ask... Uh, uh, Chiefs of Staff, and no one had any idea of what the hell he was talking about or why he had come to this decision. So, well, and apparently I, the communication department within the White House was caught off guard by all of this. So uh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's 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 troubling. It's it's troubling at a sort of personal level. I, I disagree with the decision, but the way in which it's conducted, uh, it's I think there's political motivations. I think he's trying to distract this little diversionary theory. Um, you know, I, I think they're hoping it'll reach out to the base, but uh, Tom and I were talking beforehand. I, I don't know if the base cares. Uh, I think the concept, at least from what I understand, is that 
his thought and, and the thought of conservatives who do support this um, is that they didn't want taxpayer dollars going for gender reassignment surgery or therapy for people that were in the military at the time, which, okay, whatever. I, I don't agree with that necessarily, but I see what their point is. But it's just such a dumb move. <laughs> just such a dumb move. It, this is the first big communication since the uh, Office of Communications in the White House yes. was mm. transformed. And I find myself wondering, <laughs> uh, was this done... Uh, can pursue it to their advice or uh, against their advice. Was, was Mooch involved yeah, in this decision? I was gonna, that's a better way to put it. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a great question. And this will be the first challenge, if not, yeah. Mooch suddenly realizes the trouble he's gotten himself <laughs> in, right? right? Hedge funds are going to look really good going forward. Huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's... It, even if it is, if there's a political calculation, it doesn't seem like a good one. If it's a distraction from Sessions and Mueller and all of that, it's only temporary. It, mm -hmm. it feels like, once again, they're wounding themselves yeah. unnecessarily. Oh. I, yeah, like I said, no support whatsoever, so there doesn't seem to be any reasonable explanation for this. Right. Yeah. As no, at this moment. Uh, a, a bizarre one, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Phil? Any any thoughts? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm so excited to to deal with some of the legal questions today. So, uh, you know, we we thought we'd hit on some of the pardon questions. We'd uh, you know uh, whether we can indict. We'll talk about Sessions and Mueller. Um, you know, the the big story that broke earlier in this week was that Trump had consulted his legal advisors about the po uh, the possibility of preemptively pardoning. Uh, staff members, associates, family members, and then most controversial, himself. Uh, and uh, now, pardons are not at all anything new to the presidency, but the fact that he's thinking about this is uh, puts us in, in somewhat uncharted territory. Um, so maybe start with you, Tom. Is, uh, there was lots of discussion this week. Do you feel, is there any consensus on whether he can do this, or, or where's the legal debate on all of this? I think the consensus is that he cannot, although the Constitution is utterly silent on the question of whether or not a president can pardon, uh, in this case, himself. Uh, it's a little like the indictment question, which yeah. is also a thing on which the Constitution is, is silent. A preemptive pardon is fine. Uh, people have often been pardoned for things already done but not yet charged nor uh, convicted. So there's no uh, problem with a preemptive uh, pardon. There's no problem with a blanket pardon, uh, which have also been done uh, with some regularity. But the thinking is that there's two arguments against pardoning oneself. The first is that the language of the Constitution is the president grants a pardon. Mm -hmm. And a fair reading of that language suggests that it is a thing given to another, not done to oneself. Mm -hmm. So a grant of pardon is a thing that would yeah. be a bilateral transaction, not a unilateral the better argument, it seems to me, is that all of Western law has accepted the principle that you can't be your own judge or jury. Right, right. And, and effectively, a self-pardon makes him his own judge or jury. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would be stunned uh, if he does it. Yeah. Uh, I, but <laughs> he stunned us many times <laughs> in the past. Uh, I'd, I'd be stunned if he does it, but I'd be stunned if, when the court gets a chance to address it, uh, and they would, needless to say, uh, they say anything other than this is inconsistent with the structural expectations of the Constitution. 
Interesting. Yeah. How, um, how would that how would that play? I mean, this is where I'm I, you know, I like to talk about issues, but I don't I don't necessarily understand the procedure. How would that play out? So if he pardoned himself, it would it would ultimately come down to the Supreme Court. But who would bring that case? Um, how I, I'm trying to think through how that would actually play out. I've been thinking the same thing all day, to be honest. Uh, I mean, this is one of the questions that's going to arise in this immigration case. Mm-hmm. Who is it that is actually injured by the conduct and that makes it a ripe controversy for the court to address? Uh, I, the argument I'd make is that 300 million Americans are harmed by the conduct and that effectively any American citizen could represent the interests of the American citizenry versus the president because they have been injured by his judging of himself. Would it would it matter? So I I I'm easily convinced that an American citizen is injured by the crime, right? But is it harder to claim that an that a citizen is harmed by the pardon, pardon. right? Is is that that's where I kind of come back to? I don't. Yeah, it's much harder to argue that. that. Yes. Uh, and, and I, this, is the, this is the more interesting question to me than whether or not he can actually do it. Yeah. That is, how would we enforce yeah. a no answer? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's a great question. So what happens if it, goes to, it works its way through the courts and the Supreme Court says, can't do it? Mm-hmm. Does it go back to the executive branch to enforce that non-pardon? What? Would it play out this way? I'm just thinking that I, we probably should have thought through this before we came on the air. <laughs> Would it play out this way? He he pardons himself, and then a prosecutor or law enforcement in some way arrests or charges him for a crime that he has pardoned himself for, in which case he would be the one who would have to take it to the Supreme Court, appealing, uh, basically claiming, I have pardoned, I am pardoned, you can't hold me accountable for these crimes. But see, that's the interesting thing. I'm going to argue that you can't indict a sitting president. Right. Yeah. So I have real doubts about whether or not law enforcement could charge him with a crime uh, oh. and, and try him. What about the possibility of uh, a Robert Mueller sort, a special prosecutor appointed by Congress to represent the interests of the American people uh, starting at a federal trial court saying the Constitution doesn't permit the power of, of self-pardon to the president everybody's doing it, needless to say, to move to the Supreme Court. Um, or theoretically, you could argue this is a case over which the Supreme Court would have original jurisdiction. Uh, mm. oh, he's a head of state, yeah. uh, and, and the court may uh, treat itself as having original jurisdiction over, they, they certainly are the, the place for an impeachment trial. Right. Uh, so, well, the, the Chief Justice It's is. a separation of powers yeah. issue of some sort, yeah. Yeah. And if he, okay, so so if you think he can pardon himself, or let's say he does, he pardons himself, it, it begins to work its way through the courts, then then the question of whether a sitting president can be indicted is, a, is brought up, and you're thinking he can't be indicted. I think he cannot. So then that would mean that anything would have to wait until the end of his fourth or eighth year, or an impeachment, a political solution to that. Yeah, I, well, those questions then, are really interesting <laughs> one. And I, in, in, in all the listening uh, to all of this, I've not heard anybody ask the question of, well, those, how would we enforce the no? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, here's, one, here's one that I also haven't heard relative to an indictment. I don't think you can indict a sitting president. And, and most of the Watergate paperwork and, and research suggested you can't do this, because it undermines the president's ability to discharge his duties. 
Um, so I think the consensus is no, even though the, uh, the, the Constitution's silent. The thinking is that you have to impeach, then indict, mm -hmm. right? So once you've, once you've removed the <coughs> sitting president from office, you can indict. So here's my Phil-like question about indictment. What if the statute of limitations is going to run on the crime uh, for which he could be indicted while he holds office? So effectively, you could have a president running for re-election to run out the statute of limitations right, right. on a crime that he could be indicted for if he loses the election. <sighs> assuming there's no political will, right? So assuming that like the Republicans wouldn't want to remove a sitting Republican president. Mm -hmm. So, so that that's I think that's the also, that's the other throughout several of these conversations we've had over the last couple of months, there's an important distinction to be made between legal and political issues at play. Yeah, right. And this is yeah. another one that's important, which is the president can pardon himself. He can try to pardon himself, right? right? Whether he can legally do that is, you know, we there can there's still some murkiness about. But he cannot pardon himself from an impeachment, right? So that that is not something that he has the right to stop. So mm -hmm. even if he issues a blanket pardon to everyone in his administration, including himself, for anything involving Russia or you know, uh, um, obstruction of justice or financial, whatever. Yeah. That is still, he can still be removed. He can still be impeached and convicted by the, by the Senate on, on the impeachment side, which is a more of a political act as opposed to a legal act. Right. Absolutely. And so I think there, the question is, or the question for me is if he pardons himself or even not himself, if he starts pardoning his children and his cronies and the people close to him, whether that is enough of a uh, abuse of power, which I think a lot of people would would I, that that would raise lots of flags, but it would be whether that would push Senate Republicans and House Republicans to make a political act, right? So he could still be removed from power even if he couldn't be, you know, thrown in prison yeah, for right. these crimes. I'm not sure you can impeach for an abuse of power. You can impeach for a high crime, a misdemeanor, mm -hmm. and then the, the Constitution specifically singles out bribery and treason. Right. Uh, I'm not sure pardoning family uh, or even pardoning donors or campaign staff qualifies as an impeachable offense. Is the Constitution specific I, about what can be an impeachable offense? No. It's, it's, it's not. not. Okay. Treason, That's, bribery, high crimes, and misdemeanors. So it's, it would be within that high, high crime and misdemeanor. Which I, I, read an, I read an article this week that I thought was really interesting about this that went back to the founding and the Constitutional Convention and this debate that was going on between, I, I don't remember the players. It was the, you know, the usual suspects, Madison and Hamilton and Jefferson and whatnot were all involved. And, and originally there was, uh, um, the, the original thought was to put a provision in that would allow the president just to be removed at the will of the Congress in a sort of a parliamentary type thing. Mm -hmm. And they didn't like that, but they wanted some way to remove him because they didn't want a, you know, a king with, with no limitations on power. And so the original, uh, the original proposal was just treason and bribery, right? Is that, is yeah. that what you were saying are the two, yeah. the two, um, uh, specific crimes, but mm -hmm. then they thought that there are a whole slew of crimes 
yeah. that surely would be justifiable to remove a president from office that don't mm -hmm. fall under just bribery mm -hmm. or treason. And so they wanted something else, <laughs> but they couldn't, they couldn't specify, they couldn't, they couldn't agree on necessarily a specific list. And so yeah. they went with this very vague high they crimes and misdemeanors, yeah. right? And it's yeah. largely left up to interpretation. And yeah. so, so I, yeah, I mean, I think that's the question is, is the, the interpretation is what falls under high crimes and, and misdemeanors. And, and so and I would argue, I think, oh, I think, I think your point is, is valid, which I think, it, you know, abuse of power or pardoning people that you don't agree with, is that really a high crime or misdemeanor? But I would fall back on that's, that's where the political part comes into it, right? It's, it's whether or not, um, because it's largely left up to Congress, right? If, if Congress thinks it's a high crime and misdemeanor, then it becomes a high crime or a misdemeanor, right? I mean, isn't it largely left up to the interpretation of Congress? Well, maybe for the purposes of drafting articles of impeachment to start the process, but uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court is going to sit as the trier of the case and would be in a position to make the judgment, this is not a crime or a misdemeanor, let alone, and note the adjective, a high crime or misdemeanor. Uh, Does that happen I, at the beginning or the end? Like would they, would before? because ultimately the Senate would vote, right? Mm -hmm. And then does the Chief Justice have the ability to make <laughs> that we, determination? Then we, try the, then we try the case. I mean, what's so beautiful about this is 100% of everything we've talked about yeah. is totally uncharted territory. <laughs> right. Just totally, because here's what I think Congress would do. Uh, I could imagine them using the 25th Amendment. Yes. That is to say, so facially obvious is it that it is ludicrous that the president can self-pardon, that we think that he is... <laughs> Uh, infirm, and the Twenty Fifth Amendment gives us the right to remove a president because he would do this. Because he do this, it, prima facie evidence that he is not capable of being president is that he tried to pardon himself preemptively. Man, that, that's the thing that sets him off uh, at this point. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, can, can we, I, I find all this so fascinating. All the yeah. all the vagueness of it is so. So back to the high crimes and misdemeanors thing, like. How do you, I mean, how do you interpret that? Is it high crimes and misdemeanors? I mean, misdemeanors are like little piddly things, right? Right, right. Or is it, is the, does the high apply to both crimes and misdemeanors? Does it have to be a high misdemeanor? Like, yeah, well, it's still pretty low bar. <laughs> really bizarre, like, stretch of, of things that could qualify. Yeah. I mean, a, a misdemeanor is like a speeding ticket, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not going to pretend that I've done the, uh, the research on what the framers meant by the word misdemeanor. I should have before I came over, but um, so the Senate has to vote. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now he holds a majority in the Senate. And I can't imagine uh, the Senate voting uh, that, a, that the issuing of a pardon, either to him, even to himself, but certainly to, uh, listen, Bill Clinton pardoned people at the end of his term in ways that were, I'd argue, vastly worse mm -hmm. than anything uh, currently contemplated for Trump. Mark Rich yeah. was a horrifying uh, piece of work. Um, now, was on the last days in office, so you can't impeach him. Sure. That might be evidence that it's not a high crime or a misdemeanor, you know, who knows. Um, uh, but I, I guess I, I don't think the Senate would vote to accept those articles as high crimes and misdemeanors. Mm -hmm. here's, here's another so, question. Oh, go ahead, Bill. 
No, I mean, I, I've, I've been I've been talking way too. After I began by saying, I've been so have I. Before, <laughs> you and me. I the whole time, so. Well, no, this this makes me think. So the Clinton the Clinton issue, right? There were there yeah. were people who were upset about that. Sure. Uh, and and wanted to. They couldn't do it, but but say that this was an illegal act that, that mm -hmm. Clinton could have been brought up on charges mm -hmm. for that pardon. Mm -hmm. And there was who was it? Uh, there were a couple guys that wrote an article in the New York Times recently suggesting that depending on who Trump pardons, not not himself anymore, but if he pardons his family, or if he pardons individuals to avoid the the Mueller ex, uh, the investigation, this could be obstruction of justice. And so that those pardons would stand, right? So he could pardon his sons, his family, everybody, but then that Mueller or others could come after him for obstruction of justice for granting those pardons. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And and again, this uh, it was Posner and Hemmel, I think, put this in the New York Times this mm -hmm. week. And their argument was that absolutely, you can go after a president for offering pardons. It, and it doesn't relate to himself, but if, if the pardons themselves are an obstruction of justice, the pardons stand, mm -hmm. The president suddenly could be charged, or or that adds to the case of obstruction of justice. Mm -hmm. So in that in that case, it matters the intent is what they're talking exactly about, right. right. Like they have the power to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and interestingly, once you've pardoned, that person isn't in jeopardy of a conviction, right. so they can't take the fifth when they are asked to testify in front of Congress or in court about the president's behavior. Mm -hmm. So this okay, so this he's is in the perfect bind. If I pardon, I essentially unmuzzle. Right. But if I don't pardon, I put people in a position where they can take the fifth. Okay, okay so let's say so let's say this happens. Let's say Trump pardons everybody within his administration, the, 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 the individuals, you know, Manafort, Flynn, mm -hmm. Don Jr., everybody. Uh, Mueller can continue the investigation looking mm -hmm. at Russian individuals who are part of this. Mm -hmm. You're telling me that he, they, it's impossible for those individuals who've been pardoned to invoke the fifth. Assuming that the pardon is sufficiently broadly worded yeah. uh, uh, to prevent <clears throat> criminal prosecution. Mm. And I, I, one can hardly imagine that Trump doesn't have a lawyer who could write one yeah. that's broad enough for that. But if you can't be in legal jeopardy, then you don't have a right to take the fifth. And if they didn't answer questions, they would be in contempt. Right. Oh, and, this and is so, so fascinating. Congress has the power <laughs> of contempt. Uh, well, I, I mean, that's... I, I don't think he would pardon anybody just based on that point. He'll gladly throw them to the wolves before he wants any of that information. Not Don Jr. Yeah, he loves I think he will. Don Jr. I think he will. <laughs> I think he will. Sorry to say, but you, so you think he, he you don't you don't think he'll pardon he he won't pardon. There is no possible way that he would let that much information come out without him having some sort of control over it. And having but, even what? Go ahead, Bill. No, 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 no. No, I, I, I think with a sane individual, you're right. But I, I think back to Don, Don Trump, Donald Trump, like blurting out things to Russians and to Japanese yeah, people. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you could easily say, oh, I just don't give a shit, whatever. Yeah. They can't make anything stick, anyways. But I, yeah, from a relatively sane standpoint, yeah, I think it would be very even worse strategically for him to start pardoning people that are possibly under investigation. I, I agree that it would be strategically a terrible decision, yes. but I agree with Phil that he's likely to do it. <laughs> I mean, when you look at his business career, mm -hmm. he embraced uh, you know, uh, going to court, right? I mean, this he's a very litigious guy, so yeah. I don't think he appreciates the significance of all of this. Uh, and that no. might get him in trouble. <laughs> But so and now we've come full circle because the best way to pardon everybody else is to pardon himself. Mm -hmm. 
right? Because then whatever they say yes. can't be yes. used against him theoretically. He starts with so himself. Maybe we're right back with, you know, I'm going to try the whole shebang. Yeah. Pardon myself. <laughs> pardon all of them. Everybody's pardoned. <laughs> what, okay, what, what would that do? Like the legal community. I mean, this is like, uh, I'm torn because part of me thinks that you know, this has been great for individuals like yourself, like it's all these great <laughs> questions, right? Yeah. But it's it's also it's such uncharted water, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, the the fact that we have never like had to engage these sorts of questions before tells you how far outside of normal the Trump administration is operating. Yeah. Right. I mean, that that's it's. I think that that's part of it. Now, so. So back to the whole, if he pardoned people, it could be grounds for impeachment. It, could you argue that it's not not the pardoning itself, but if he pardons himself or if he pardons other people very close to him, is that in some way an admission of, it's not yes. an admission of guilt. Yes. But it so, is, it so, is. So, okay, so you're that in that case then, if Trump pardons people and if he pardons himself, if we go back to articles of impeachment, by pardoning himself, isn't he admitting to high crimes and misdemeanors? Yeah, the conventional wisdom on a pardon is that it incorporates an, uh, an admission of guilt. Mm -hmm. In fact, in most states, when a governor pardons somebody, their criminal record still reflects the charge and the conviction. They just simply don't serve the sentence uh, for the crime that they have been convicted. So it's not clemency, yeah. uh, and it's not uh, you know, uh, an appeal, a win of an appeal or something like that. It's an admission of guilt. Apparently this was one of the biggest issues that Gerald Ford was so upset about when he pardoned Nixon. Because mm -hmm. he thought, when I pardon Nixon, I, I, he basically is accepting that yes. he is guilty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, I get, to his death, he said, I, I don't understand why people don't appreciate what yeah. I did for the country. I yeah. got Nixon to accept a pardon and admit guilt. But people think it's like, oh, pardon, there's nothing mm -hmm. there. But yes, mm -hmm. it is it is an acceptance of <clears throat> guilt. So one more interesting permutation. If a pardon constitutes an admission of guilt, and if the president pardons himself, then he has effectively, effectively admitted guilt to the crime that he could be subsequently indicted for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you with me? But, and, or yeah, but if he's pardoned himself, pardon, he, can't, he can't be indicted for it, right? Well, if we impeach him, sure. But he's... Now, now we uh, are well beyond the high crimes and misdemeanors because he's admitted, he's admitted. guilt mm -hmm. by pardoning himself. So right. one assumes Congress could then say, and I think you might find Republicans who'd go along, well, look, a pardon equals an admission of guilt. Guilt is a word associated with a high crime or a misdemeanor. This is a no-brainer for impeachment. Right. And then his criminal trial, when he is indicted thereafter, uh, Exhibit A is his pardon of himself and admission of guilt. So but that would only apply if the Supreme Court ruled that you could not pardon yourself. Right. So if I he think. tries to pardon himself, the Supreme Court says you can't do that. <laughs> he gets impeached. He is admitted to crime. Yes. Yes. So the That's, Supreme Court could save him from himself. Yes. yes. <laughs> he will yes. have admitted his guilt via a self-pardon effort, but it won't be a formal admission of guilt if the Supreme Court says he hasn't got the power to pardon so, himself. So in that sense, an, an attempt to pardon himself is a tremendous risk, right? Because yes, he's, right. he's freeing I think up. It is. I mean, he's opening the door. I mean, what should be an open and shut case for impeachment, right? He's, mm -hmm. He is, in essence, admitting to committing crimes. Yes. 
potentially opening himself to prison time if the court rules that he can't be, mm -hmm. he can't pardon himself, mm -hmm. and sort of unloose, unleashing all these other people around him if he pardons them to testify against him. And so maybe the framers really were pretty clever because they prevent the president from pardoning uh, on an impeachment. Right. Right. So, yeah. so you know, I, one can't imagine they were envisioning Donald Trump in the White House. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting that they've preserved for Congress, the Senate in particular, the impeachment power, and the president cannot affect that via pardon or executive order or, or any other executive act. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that if he attempts to do so, that would then be grounds for the Senate or for the House to say it's time for impeachment. I think you can make that case. Although, when you pardon, is the language specific? Do you say that there's a specific crime? How, how specific would Trump have to be about that uh, in terms of the admission? Mm -hmm. Generally, the pardon describes conduct, yeah. and all crimes or uh, charges arising from conduct. So what it wouldn't do is have a list of every crime theoretically possible. What it might say is, uh, honor before such and such a date, so-and-so did this, 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 and this, and any and all criminal charges of a federal sort, right? The, right. the president can only uh, give pardons as to federal crimes. Um, I am preemptively pardoning them for uh, uh, charges stemming from that conduct. So you describe the conduct, not the crime. Is is there how broad can that be? Could he could he say I part? So if I was president, could I pardon Bill Muck for all crimes committed prior to you know January first, two thousand and seventeen, or something? Um, the president's pardon power is absolute, other than yeah. as to himself yeah. and as to state crimes. So I think the argument would be yes, you could. It's almost like the priest yeah. giving. Uh, absolution, absolution. In, in confession. So, uh, so wouldn't that wouldn't that be the solution then, right? So he pardons himself in a blanket sense, because then he can still say, "I just wanted to put an end to this crap investigation. I had nothing to do with Russia. I didn't obstruct justice. But in order to end this, I'm going to issue this blanket pardon." Yeah. Would that would that be the way to do it? Is he smart enough to figure that out with the legal <laughs> advisors who tell him that? Well, well, the interesting thing is, though, I, I, again, I haven't. This is a, uh, yeah, a podcast, not a you know a, a Supreme Court. So I, I didn't look into the question of um, how broadly the time frame within which conduct giving rise to a pardon uh, could be, because the general notion is you identify a particular act. Mark Rich did this and I'm pardoning him for all crimes at the federal level that could stem from that behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm not aware of a pardon that was indefinite in nature uh, in terms of time and indefinite in terms of conduct. I was thinking more along the lines of between such and such a period of time, uh, Jared Kushner may have had conversations with uh, yeah. Russians, Ukrainians, Lithuanians, Latvians, you know, whatever. <laughs> Uh, they may have involved uh, the election, they may have involved Hillary Clinton, um, and I pardon for all crimes that could arise between this date and this date yeah. uh, as a result of those conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the everything backwards through childhood, right. uh, uh, and I, 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 it's a wonderful question, I don't mean to yeah. belittle it, but theoretically I suppose a president could try that because there's nothing that limits the pardon power except federal crimes only. And when you think about somebody like Paul Manafort, 
and what's going on with Robert Mueller's investigation, right? So this gets to this issue of, of Donald Trump is increasingly concerned that Mueller is looking beyond just the direct Russian connections, and he's going back through uh, what Paul Manafort has done over the last decade, right? Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. you may have to start if you're thinking about that connection, right? To say sure. not just if I'm gonna if I'm gonna give Manafort a pardon, it's not just for for the last six months, yep. but for the last ten years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, this is so fascinating. <laughs> the, 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 again, this is where I'm just, I, I'm, I, I'm just guessing because I don't, I don't know the details. But the, the logical assumption would be there has to be some level of specificity, right? Because you can't pardon yeah. for future crimes, right? right. For no, unknown, no, yeah. For so, so it seems like if. If it were truly an unlimited power, you would be able to. I would be able to say Bill Muck is pardoned for all crimes in the past and future that he might commit, and then you could go crazy, Bill. That's yeah. wonderful. That, do, do you have that power? <laughs> I do. I do. You you go are... ahead and do whatever you want, Bill. Technically, you're pardoning for future charges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The pardon attaches to conduct, mm -hmm. so that has to have already taken place. But most, I shouldn't say most, many pardons precede a criminal charge. Sure. Indeed, right. they right. preempt one. And, and many more pre, preempt a conviction or imprisonment. So I suppose at some right, levels right. you're saying you're pardoning uh, preemptively the charge, mm -hmm. the trial, or the conviction and, and the imprisonment. It's the conduct that, yeah, that has already occurred. taken place. Hmm. And that's the thing that would have to be described with some measure of specificity. To get him out. As I look at this, I see Trump playing two ends. On one end, he's thinking about the pardons to say, that's one way I can get out of this mess. The other end is firing Jeff Sessions, Robert Mueller, right? I need to I need to either pardon myself and everybody else for the alleged crimes, or I need to stop the investigation, right? And I think we saw both of those things this week, right? One was the discussion of whether he can pardon himself and everybody else, and then the other was the brutal treatment that poor Jeff Sessions, and there—I <laughs> don't usually Jeff feel Sessions. sorry for Jeff Sessions, <laughs> but you know, I think Ivanka Trump, Trump needs to start like addressing the cyberbullying that is happening <laughs> to wow. poor Jeff Sessions, right? I mean, nice. this, you think about this week, uh, Trump has gone after him multiple times, called him weak, ineffective. I mean, even you know, did an interview with uh, the New York Times attacked him, the Wall Street Journal he attacked beleaguered. him, beleaguered, beleaguered, yes. Uh, and even today, yeah, I, he he referred to him as beleaguered, right? Yes, he's yes. he's doing he's the doing it. right? <laughs> That's it's right. That's exactly right. So, which raises really interesting questions, like what is what is he doing, right? I mean, he could he could just fire him immediately, but instead he's just breaking him over the coals and making him look silly. And and I don't know what. What 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 do we read or what is what is he up to here? He's acting like a fucking idiot. Well, <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, and and like we've seen this before. I mean, with uh, and now I forgot his name. We talked about him for weeks and weeks and weeks. Who's that? Uh, Comey. Oh yeah. I mean, we know what the end result is going to be if you treat someone like shit and then you fire them. You know they have information. But and why? realistically, what is the, what is the benefit to them to Keep that to themselves. Why not just Especially fire? Especially if. What do you mean? Why not just fire? Because what I just said. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit bit of a difference here because it appears that Jeff Sessions was also caught up in all of the same. Like, where there's this feud between Comey and Trump, and Trump can fire Comey. 
Like Sessions can't quite come clean in the same way that Trump that Comey can. No, he can't. Because as we're learning, Sessions was involved in all of these meetings and you know did, didn't disclose them and whatnot as well. So he might have an incentive. But is it worse to? You're right. It, it's stupid to insult someone, fire them, and then expect them to keep quiet. Right. But is it better to keep them on and possibly have them uh, be charged because of an investigation, or to have them come out? Um, freely in a congressional setting and have them spill whatever information that they have. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, but if you... End of, end of statement. <laughs> Full stop. What's the purpose of belittling sessions, though, right? That's um, fun. Wait, it's gotta be more than that, right? There's gotta be some, some I agenda. I honestly don't know if it's more than that at this point. I, I think he's reluctant to fire sessions. Yeah. I think he wants sessions to resign. Yes. Because he's fired everybody else connected with this investigation, and if he fires Sessions, and there's a new a attorney general, which we can talk about all of that, those implications, and then he then he gets the new AG to fire Mueller, he doesn't want that, right? I think he's trying to bully him, embarrass him, get him to say, "I'm gonna, I'll step down," and then he can say, "Okay, well, I didn't fire this guy." I I, I don't know, who knows? But I I think you're right. I mean, I think. Uh... The, the explanation that you have to come, in my mind at least, that you have to come back to on anything involving Trump is that it, it is in the end about Trump's self-interest, right? Like he right. he's, <laughs> like he, Sessions is a friend, like Trump, Trump is big on loyalty, but his loyalty is to himself, right? Correct. And so the instant that Sessions ceases to be useful to Trump or in any way, uh, you know, isn't fulfilling what Trump wants. Trump will ditch him. I mean, he's done this over and over again, right? He will use people as long as they're useful to him and he will claim loyalty. But the instant that they cease to be useful or in some way stand in his way, he will abandon them quickly. I mean, it should be a lesson to anyone who is considering working for a Trump administration, right? It's, it's, it, it, there, there is. No, I think everyone who gets involved thinks that you know they're working together to some end that they want to see accomplished. Or, it is all about Donald Trump at the end of the day. Yes, they call it the Spicer effect at this point. <laughs> I think the difference between Sessions and all the people who got fired is the base loves Sessions, the base yes. did not love Comey, mm -hmm. the base yep. didn't love Yates, uh, and uh, in his in his mind. Uh, to the extent anybody can peer into such a thing. I think he feels like he'd be able to say to the base, well, look, the guy quit. It wasn't me. The guy quit. Right. And, and so you and the base that love Jeff Sessions, don't blame me. Uh, you know, blame him. It's juvenile. Uh, yeah. uh, it, it, I mean, it, I'm not even sure it rises to the level of being juvenile. But somehow <laughs> in his mind, I think he sees a difference between uh, uh, badgering the guy until he quits and being able to say he didn't do it and outright firing him mm -hmm. relative to the base. And of all the people to do this too, Jeff his Sessions. first endorser. Right, right his first right. like <laughs> Senate. And, and I mean, Jeff Sessions lended so much credibility mm -hmm. to this campaign. And uh, to me, this strikes me as, as a bad strategic move because he's the perfect attorney general for him. In terms of, you know, he's, he's, he's strong in immigration. Uh, in terms of he's, he's uh, much more protectionist in terms of free trade. Oh, yeah. um, you know, in terms of he's back what? on civil asset forfeiture. Je yes. Jeff, What's that? Jeff Sessions is everything that Donald Trump claims to be. Yes. Right? Donald Trump has no, has no real political convictions, mm -hmm. but all the convictions he's claiming are Jeff Sessions' convictions. Exactly, right? which leaves us in a point where the only reason he's firing him is because of the Mueller investigation. That's it. There's nothing else because you can't find a more compliant 
and a more ideologically in sync individual than Jeff Sessions. It, oh, yeah. But that, I mean, so, but push comes to shove, right? So Sessions does not appear to be wanting to step down. Um, I, Trump will fire him, right? Like, I mean, it, it feels like the, the, the end point that we are stumbling or pushing or slogging towards is somehow Mueller gets fired. Right. And right. if that means Sessions has to be the one to go in order to have that happen, I, I don't we've we've talked about this over the last few weeks about whether Trump would actually fire Mueller. That feels at least somewhat more inevitable than it did a few weeks ago. Right. I mean, that's what yeah, I don't know what you've all said, but I don't think he can. No, I don't think he can either. I, it, well, he you can't directly. Right. Right. He, he's got to he's he'd have to bring in an attorney general. He'd have to bring right, in a new what? attorney general who would then be would no longer be recused. Right. Would take over this investigation, and then could fire Mueller. There, right. But which that... is why the firing of Sessions becomes essential, right? If the end point, if the end goal is getting rid of Mueller, and that becomes increasingly inevitable, then Sessions has to go. And you can try to force him out, but if he if he doesn't, Trump will fire him, but right? What kind of what kind of patsy is going to be willing to take that new position? And how <laughs> are, how do they get through the Senate? How do they get through the Senate? That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Listen, what, there's what? a lot of lawyers in the world. <laughs> you will find a lawyer prepared to be the attorney general. I promise you that. I, I, see people, I see people on Twitter predicting that like the Trump administration will run out of people who are willing to debase themselves. And I think there is no end of it, it is an endless supply of people who are willing to yes. sell their souls Agreed. to have access to yeah. power. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. And they may be overrepresented that. among lawyers, actually. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but but I also think like if Chris Christie or Rudy Giuliani got nominated right to be the next attorney general, I, those two names seem to be the ones that jump out in my oh, head at God. least. <laughs> would the Senate stop them? Like I, what what has the Senate done that would give you that would lead you to think that yes. they would not confirm a I, Rudy Giuliani or a Chris Christie? I think they would only because Jeff Sessions has had a rough three or four day, or the week. But they've the last couple of days, senators have been coming to his defense and hard, right? I mean, saying that he is he's a you know a fantastic attorney general, a good man, and I think that says something, right? It's a signal. You don't buy it, Phil. I think it's a signal to Trump that the Republicans in the Senate are not going to roll over on this. If you come out staking your claim to Jeff Sessions is a fantastic attorney general, <laughs> you, don't, you don't win a whole lot in terms of like in terms of like deep respect from me. So. <laughs> but but this is in some ways it's like the healthcare vote, right? You only have to peel off a handful, mm -hmm. right. and if he's yep. got five friends, mm -hmm. Chris yeah. Christie's not the attorney general. Right. It's all he needs. Even even if they do the nuclear option, which I think at this point applies across the board as to all future presidential right. uh, appointments. All they got to do is peel off a handful of Republicans who say, I was a never Trumper from the get go. What he did to Sessions is unconscionable and I'm not voting for a replacement. Mm -hmm. Then Rosenstein becomes your acting attorney exactly. general. Yes. He appointed Mueller. He's not going to fire Mueller. He has said it yeah. uh, under oath. Um, so Trump does have another option uh, and it is to seek a repeal of the regulations under which the special counsel was appointed. I mean, the, so Rosenstein, uh, Stein, uh, acts under Stein. Stein, sorry, yeah. um, acts under a regulation. Yeah. Uh, this is the one that says you can only remove the attorney general's. The right. only one could do it, mm -hmm. uh, and it would be for misconduct or something like that. 
Well, if you repeal the regulation, there's no authority for the Attorney General to appoint a special counsel. Who has the ability to do that? Well, this is the question. Uh, it's an administrative matter. Administrative agencies are a part of the executive branch. And theoretically, the president could move to repeal a regulation promulgated by an administrative agency. I hate this. <laughs> so, I, I, again, I, this is, it's a little like the yeah. 25th Amendment right, and right. the self-pardon, right? But I throw it out there because it's a sort of an interesting question, right? Could he do that? It's not a statute. Uh, it is a regulation. So it's in the Code of Federal Regulations. It's an administrative matter. Uh, the executive branch owns the administrative, uh, well, t to some extent, owns the administrative branch. And I'm going to call it a branch because yeah. I think it really is the fourth branch. Uh, he, why not repeal it? So he could do I, that. So, Go ahead, Phil. I, I just, I had to think real hard while you were walking me through that, <laughs> which is what gives me... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty firmly leads me to the belief that Trump will never make it that far down that path. I'm saying concentration that it just required me to understand that. He won't get it himself. <laughs> well, but he's now moving to better lawyers. He finally got he's rid of to the, get better you know, his New York guy. Couldn't he also talk today? Was that he could do a recess appointment? So the Senate goes away in August, and then he could do a recess appointment. Now. Ultimately, with recess appointments, it has to be approved by the Senate at some point. But during that interim period, they could go through. So he could appoint Rudy or Cruz or Giuliani or whoever it is and fire Mueller mm -hmm. and then say, well, it doesn't matter. I don't care anymore. Um, but, and there's a big but yeah. here, remember uh, Barack Obama's recess appointments and the Supreme Court's intervention, particularly as to the NLRB, which was. The Senate wasn't in recess. The Senate decides when it's in recess. Mm -hmm. And if they don't decide they're in recess, you can't make these appointments. Mm -hmm. So Mitch McConnell has to go along with the scheme. Mm -hmm. right? Uh, right? So if Mitch said we're back in session. Well, if he says we never, we never went out. This was a Harry Reid invention, right? Oh. That the Senate is never in recess. Mm -hmm. uh, and That's interesting. Now it turns out it could you know, like and so many Mitch, other things, blow up in the face of, of people. And would Mitch do that? Um, yes. You think so? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Phil, you think, he, you think he'd go into recess to allow? or I think what he'd say to the president is, this is too far. The institution of the Senate means something to me. Jeff Sessions was a senator. He served admirably in that role, and I am not playing along one more day. So I, I, think, that's mm. the, I think that's the factor that, that is important here, is that as... I think that Jeff Sessions might actually be fairly unpopular amongst senators, but this whole longstanding tradition of Senate mm -hmm. courtesy and yeah. respecting colleagues and whatnot, I, I think that's really interesting. If he weren't a former senator, if he hadn't served alongside all of these senators, yeah. I think it might play out differently. But I think you're right. An attempt to fire him might um, unleash a fair amount of backlash. I, I don't have beyond the senatorial courtesy stuff I, I if 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 we're making a list of people who are essentially ignoring or destroying or running over sort of norms or expectations of how government should behave donald trump may be at the top but mitch mitch mcconnell's a pretty close second so i don't i don't i mean in, in current in government current government today right yeah. we could have debates about in the, in the big picture of stuff but um yeah i mean i don't i don't I like to think that he would say that's one line too far, but I, I don't know. He hasn't he hasn't built a whole lot of confidence. I, I actually wonder if he hasn't already said it. 
and, yeah. and that that's what accounts for Trump trying to badger session out of the sessions mm. out of the office rather than fire him. All McConnell yeah. has to do is pick up the phone and say, "I am not letting the Senate out of session uh, uh, indefinitely." Yeah. So you should just right now make this assumption: it's either this guy or the deputy AG. So you make up your mind. I, that, that, that's interesting. I wish more people were making more. I think senators need to be making. Maybe they're doing it behind the scenes, which would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I think they need to be making it more, more openly. Like yeah. statements about, you know, a pardoning of yourself would be, you know, we we would impeach if that occurred. Because I think those signals have to be sent to Trump, and I don't yeah. know if they are. The other thing that yeah. strikes me is the significance of all of this. Right, we're talking about breaking long-standing norms. Trump has to realize this. And either just stop, just stop no, okay, maybe either either he doesn't realize it, or what is he covering up, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, we can talk about Kushner in a second, but why not just say, let this play out? Mm -hmm. If there's nothing there, right? Just let it play out. And there's yeah. part of me that thinks there may not be anything right. there. It's Nixon all over right, again. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're. I, I genuinely think the Trump administration is too stupid to organize a grand scheme of colluding with the Russians. There may be like at the margins, and there may be criminal activity. All of that may, but there's no. I think it's unlikely there is some sophisticated scheme. In which case, let this play out. So, so the, unless you really know there's something there, he can't do that. They're gonna find something. I mean, all of the lawyers that are getting appointed to that investigation are. Where they uh, they what I think ninety eight percent of them uh, contributed to Hillary Clinton in the campaign something like that just on that statistic alone you can I would assume he's paranoid about that let alone so the where, fact that they don't I'll, go ahead Phil where did you get that statistic I've seen similar statistics and then I've seen people respond with that the, if you also take into account that they also donated to Trump and Republicans it's not quite as startling a percentage. I, I don't I got it off a of Breitbart, I think. <laughs> uh, no, it was on it was uh it was a report from NPR this morning, I believe, okay. that I heard but, it from. Yeah. I mean again, I know nothing about this, but my sense from what you hear on both sides, like you know, Mueller is impeccable in terms of people thinking his integrity and everybody that isn't appointed. There's there's yes, there's been some donations and whatnot, but nobody is attacking any of these individuals and everything you're hearing is that if Mueller is bringing somebody on board, mm. the last thing he... I mean, he's a Republican. Mm. The last thing he wants Registered to do is... Registered Republican. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is he going to want to bring on some Hillary... <laughs> I don't I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just... A, I, I get afraid when we start talking about that. No, and realistically, my only point is I think there's a fair amount of paranoia, sure. if not in the man himself, within the administration as a whole. So I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I don't think there's any sort of far-reaching conspiracy there at all within Mueller's team within Mueller's team or the action or the the Trump administration sure. in connection to Russia but like I you can clearly this is not there's not clear thinking that's happening in right. the administration right now well, so I, I again not coming from a yeah, sane standpoint right, right. but the standpoint that we've been talking about a lot today I can see where they're coming from it makes sense and they're just gonna keep hammering yeah, at this right. They're, they're 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 certainly guilty, right? <laughs> like, I mean, so from this in this sense, in this sense, let me say this: I don't I don't think that there was necessarily a vast conspiracy that was like, created by the Trump administration or people around him. 
I don't for a second put it past Vladimir Putin to have a vast conspiracy to be no, involved no, in this. No, not at all. And I don't and I don't for a second doubt that I mean, what we learned over the last two weeks is that Putin has this plan. He reaches out and the Trump administration says, well, sure. I mean, they've openly said if Russia reaches out to us, of course, we're going to take that information. Right. They went from denying collusion to saying you'd be stupid not to collude. Right. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't they don't have to be masterminds to have committed a crime. Right. So, right. so there's some there's some aspect there. And then Trump has this long history. I mean, what? since we talked last time, it was, I don't remember if it was last Wednesday night or Thursday morning, was when he gave, said in an interview, if Mueller starts looking into my finances, I'm gonna fire him, don't do that. <laughs> Who says that, right? <laughs> when the police show up to your house investigating a murder, you don't say, search anywhere except for the basement. Right? Like, right. <laughs> which, they're gonna find something on him. Which I think there's some parallels to, to back to Bill Clinton and the Ken Starr investigation, right? I mean, we're, I mean, Bill Clinton got into trouble not because of it initially started. Did it start with what was Cl the Ken Starr investigation? I can't remember. Whitewater was White, it. It was started with Whitewater, yeah. but then ultimately it was totally different crimes. Yeah. And and so you have these special prosecutors that can look into anything. Mm -hmm. And so Trump, you're right, maybe worried that maybe he hasn't done anything during the campaign, or Trump himself, I, I think Manafort, that guy is super guilty of a lot of stuff. So let me be the devil's advocate <laughs> yeah. for a minute here and yeah. just make three quick points. The first one is Mueller and Jim Comey are good friends. And that seems to me to be grounds for at least wondering about his objectivity. Mm -hmm. uh, second. But both, both Republicans, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Friends. Yes. I'm gonna just I'm gonna stay with that. Uh, second, uh, you use the word crime, Phil, and I'm wondering what the crime is. Mm -hmm. Let's assume for the moment that Mueller finds out that there was a meeting, and at that meeting, uh, Russian operatives provided all sorts of ugly things about Hillary Clinton, uh, and also why don't we even throw in, told him we're going to hack the DNC. Now, I'm not sure what crime has been committed. Colluding is and uh, it's unpatriotic. It's uh, terrible judgment. Uh, it is uh, unprincipled and unethical. I'm not sure where the crime is. So yeah, I, I mean, I think you're 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 right. I mean, there there are some campaign finance laws that get into receiving. Um, something of value, right? And so you could get into the debate about whether information is of value. I, I wonder if you could get into some level of aiding and abetting in the sense of like, if, if Bill says to me, um, I'm gonna break into my neighbor's house and steal their TV and give it to you. And I say, great, I haven't broke, I haven't involved, you know, I'm not involved mm -hmm. in breaking and entering. I wasn't mm -hmm. in that part of the crime, but I still become some part of that crime. So I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, my legal expertise Well, you might be a co-conspirator, but there has to be an underlying crime. Right. And I guess right. my question is, and, I, and, I, and I, maybe there is one, and I don't know what it is. I'm wondering what the crime is. Mm -hmm. Do you Well, certainly, I, I mean, I don't, sur sur surely breaking, I mean, hacking into a, into a computer system and there's got to be some sort of crime involved. Well, like, that's not just no like, admission of that. You can't just be like, do it. You right? have to prove that. What, right. what, what, uh -huh. what about, is it, does it drift into treason if you are aiding another country to intervene in the U.S. election? That's an interesting question. I mean, so, so and again, he's, he's arguing in a self-interested yeah. position, but if you yeah. are aiding an outside country to intervene and undermine the democratic process, yeah. Does that then become treasonous behavior? But what, so what does that look like when foreign leaders endorse 
uh, and they do. Right. Uh, All presidential the time. candidates. Yeah. Have they aided and abetted in treason mm -hmm. by soliciting that endorsement? Right. What is the conduct? And does the conduct? Yeah. yeah. And on a strict definition of treason, doesn't it have to be an enemy, technically? I mean, you get into debates about whether or yeah, not yeah, yeah, Russia is an enemy or mm -hmm. they're just, you know, a hostile state, right? We're yeah. not, we haven't declared war with them. We're not yeah. helping them win a war against the United States. But this thing we, goes we back to what we pushed the reset button with them, for goodness <laughs> right, sake. Right. They're not even any of those bad things anymore. Yeah. Oh, we've got Jesus. There's a lot of unknowns. Yeah, yeah. we gotta move on to another topic. We should probably talk should about talk beers because we're definitely gonna go long. Okay, all right, we, we can talk beers. Um, Phil, do you want to start? Uh, yeah, I, mine's unexciting. I I got back into town a couple of hours ago and grabbed out of my refrigerator a Lagunitas Twelfth of Never. Um, as I've said before, I like them a lot. <laughs> all right, so uh, Nick, do you want to go or you want me to go? Uh, I can go. Yeah. Um, I had a uh, an extra citra pale ale from Surly, which where are they out of? You mentioned that. Min uh, um, Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> pretty good. It, I had not had it before. Surly stuff is normally really, really good. Um, pretty light and definitely a lot of citrus. Um, very drinkable. Uh, highly recommend. Um, second one I had was a Colette Farmhouse far Farm. Wow, Farmhouse Ale. Um, that's from Great Divide out of Colorado. Um, super kind of grainy and almost oatmeal-y, um, but not overly heavy. Uh, it's got kind of a, yeah, like a sweet oatmeal kind of taste to it, which is growing on me. I don't know if that's good or bad. When I lived in Denver, uh, Great Divide was my favorite brewery. And they were mm -hmm. before all, like, Before every... Lakefront? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. They, they were the one. They had Denver, the Den DPA, Denver Pale Ale was my favorite beer. So. Gotcha. All right, but uh, how's their how's their tour, Bill? It's it's not as good as Lakefront. Lakefront is the best Lakefront's brewery the best. tour you could do. <laughs> it's absolutely the best. because they give you a beer at the beginning. <laughs> so does Lagunitas. Do they? Oh, I know. Okay, Lagunitas well, does it right. All right, we got to do that. All right, so I had I started with a Misfit IPA from Wild Onion Brewery, which is uh, out of Chicago, actually Lake Barrington, Illinois. Uh, I actually enjoyed it. It was a pretty traditional IPA. Uh, I love their can. Uh, good, yeah, good beer. Liked it. Uh, my second one was from Alter Brewery, which is uh, close by. I love that brewery. Uh, Centerline Golden Ale. Uh, actually, this was fantastic. Hmm. It was, and I usually like lighter beers. I'm not not a big fan of, but this was very complex. Uh, it was incredibly drinkable. Very, very good. Uh, well done, Alter Brewer. Alter, Alter Brewery. Uh, and then my last beer was from Ale Asylum up in Madison, Wisconsin. And they make my most favorite beer in the world. And this was their uh, Unshadowed, which is a Hefeweizen. Hefeweizen. Uh, I liked it. It was it was good. Uh, I'm not a huge Hefeweizen fan, but this was uh, it was tasty. Yeah. Tom, I've had two. Uh, Four Hands Brewing, which I believe is St. Louis. Uh, tropical IPA called Dekine. I thought it was delicious. It's uh, uh, tropical in the sense that it has pineapple and honey, uh, yeah. and, and you could taste a lot of pineapple. And an East End beer uh, called Big Hop. Uh, East End's in Pittsburgh. This is one of these hazy uh, IPAs that are the rage across America right now. Uh, good, but not as good as the Dekine. So this, the Big Hop is a Caliendo brought that back when he was driving through Pennsylvania. Oh, uh, Dr. Stephen right. Maynard Caliendo. <laughs> and right. we, we reviewed it last week, but nice. uh, yeah, so this yeah, is an American ale. Yeah. Good. Oh. All right, Nick, what do we, what do we want to talk? We can talk about Kushner, we can talk, which, what, we can talk, <laughs> what else? Um, 
I mean, you've been talking about gay wedding cake for like three weeks now. I would love to talk about gay. We have a legal expert here. We we should talk some gay wedding cake. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, I don't don't want to put you on the spot, but could you maybe give the the parameters of this this case? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Uh, This comes from Colorado, uh, and uh, it is a free speech and free exercise case uh, because it has an interesting artistic dimension. The argument made in the cert petition is that this baker uh, is a cake artist and that this is the production of a thing that conveys ideas uh, and that has artistic merit and value to it. Oh, that's good. And uh, as a consequence, uh, Colorado is compelling him to speak and to do so in ways that are inconsistent with his beliefs. So they're asking him to make art that expresses an idea that he uh, rejects. Um, the idea being that if a gay couple comes <coughs> in and asks for a cake, it's infringing upon his artistic choice. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he should have the right to say no to that. No. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to turn out to be the case that this is not as hard uh, for the Supreme Court as it might appear. Uh, bad facts make bad law in some ways. And, and here's the problem. Colorado has issued all sorts of exceptions to this particular uh, state rule. For example, Westboro Baptist Church asked a Muslim baker to produce a cake defaming the Quran. Uh, The baker declined and was given a Colorado exemption from the rule. Um, The Aryan Nation asked an African-American baker to make one uh, that essentially had racist epithets all over it. He declined and was given an exemption. So the question here is, is there any plausible way for Colorado to say they're making content neutral decisions about this speech? And it seems to me uh, they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that is to say, you, you can't put unelected administrative sorts in charge of making judgments like these. Um, so Westboro gets no cake, gay wedding gets a cake. All of these pieces of speech are protected, clearly and obviously. Mm. Um, that is what would be on the cake. So to put those words in his mouth, yeah. when you won't put uh, insults to the Quran or insults to uh, black Americans in the mouths of others, I'm not sure how the court can so, reconcile the case in any other way. Is there, a, I think that's kind of, that's fascinating. Is there, is there a... It seems like a, a small difference, but a significant difference in that if someone comes in and asks a Muslim baker to make a cake defaming, you know, mm-hmm. the prophet, yeah, that's different from um, someone coming in and the Muslim baker just refusing to serve them because they are not Muslim or because they're Christian or Jewish or something, right? Right, right. So so there's a difference between what is being put on the cake versus just serving someone. Does that make sense? So if I suppose like if a gay couple came into the baker and said, I want you, you know, to make me a wedding cake that depicts, you know, two men having, you know, gay sex or whatever, mm-hmm. they, the baker might say, I don't want to do that. But that's different than a baker saying, I refuse to bake a cake for a gay couple, right? Is that, is that difference and significant? I'm, it seems significant to me in some way. What I'm thinking, exactly right. I'm thinking, let's say a uh, straight couple comes in and orders a wedding cake. 
and then right afterwards, a gay couple comes in and orders the exact same wedding cake. Does that individual have the right to say yes to the first cake and no to the second cake because of the right. circumstances of that relationship? It wouldn't be the exact same cake if it said John and William. What if they go no names? to. Well, uh, but I don't think those are the facts of the case. <laughs> as many hypotheticals. No, I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's a wonderful hypothetical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if Jewel yeah. refused to sell a boxed cake that had nothing on it other than, um, you know, wedding bells yeah. and wedding bands uh, to a gay couple, but Jewel sold the same cake to a heterosexual couple, it seems to me it would be easy to say that's discrimination mm -hmm. right. and it is unprotected. Here he says, "I'm being asked to give my artistic license, or my artistic license is being to make a cake that uh, is expressive about a gay marriage, and I don't believe no. in that." So if you yeah. could, oh, go ahead, Phil. No, I mean it's an inter I think it's an interesting yeah. argument because on the other side of the hypothetical, Bill, right? Like, if you have an issue with a baker being able to make this distinction between a heterosexual and a gay couple. Do you have a, can a minister then also make that distinction, right? So can a Southern Baptist minister or someone whose congregation disagrees with gay marriage, can they then refuse to marry a gay couple, right? So a, a, a minister refusing to serve, to provide a service to a gay couple, is that different than a baker refusing to provide a service to a gay couple? And does it come down to the is it is the is it your sense the artistic element is important here? Uh, I think it's very important. Yeah. I, I, the minister example, it seems to me, is going to be one uh, that the court's going to hear. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and and the twist there, of course, is that we've institutionalized marriage and given the state a role in it. Mm -hmm. uh, Phil doesn't know this, but I'm the only libertarian that's ever set foot on. North Central's campus, and so uh, I want government out of all of these things, right? Yeah. Marry who you want, as many of them as you want, but you get the cake from whoever wants to give it to you, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, but the, the minister is going to be in front of the court, because we've said that you're an agent of the state when you officiate over a wedding, right. and then right. uh, you know, sort of conclude the licensing. Uh, and, and I think that's going to be a really interesting case because it will compel. Listen, all of the world's religions have, for virtually the entire history of those religions, rejected gay marriage, right? Mm -hmm. These, this, this isn't a doctrine that people came up with yesterday. Mm -hmm. right. uh, it's a long-standing, authentically believed article of faith for all of the world's, well, I shouldn't say all, certainly the, the, the three Western religions, yeah. right? Christianity and, and Judaism right at the front of that. Um, Islam absolutely right. uh, rejects gay marriage. So uh, the artistic thing is important here because it expands the, the free exercise argument to a second dimension of the First Amendment. So basically you're giving the court, I mean this is great lawyering, right? Yeah. You say to the court, if you can't decide the case on the basis of free exercise, that's the minister, right? Just mm -hmm. simply delivering a service. What I want you to do is deliver an opinion that says we're not going to compel speech mm -hmm. from an artist uh, in a way that they wouldn't otherwise speak. Mm. I can't make Bill Muck put swastikas on his wall. Damn it. <laughs> that, that seems like, really that, is, is, there, is there some level of slippery slope with that? Because you can't also then, if you take that into account, if you, if you go that way, 
you can't compel Bill Muck to put swastikas on his wall, but then I'm you not, also I'm not can't crazy about this stop. example. <laughs> <laughs> but you also can't stop him from putting swastikas on his wall. Or I mean, if if Bill is claiming that that's his artistic expression, then I mean, the government. It seems like the government is wants to limit speech in some ways and it's important to limit speech i mean this is where the libertarian part gets right. <laughs> the yeah. debated part yeah. now i'm already <laughs> nervous it's not important to limit speech no um, <laughs> especially in but but let's be clear this is this is not a deprivation of speech this is compelled speech yeah. and that's the interesting twist on the case he's not saying don't uh, stop me from saying a thing he's saying don't make me say it right yeah and even if they came in and said, look, I don't want a cake that has two men kissing and first names, you're asking me to lend an artistic endorsement to a ceremony uh, uh, that I reject on moral and religious grounds. Mm -hmm. It would be like, let's, so it would be like asking the Muslim baker, even if it didn't insult the Quran, to bake a cake for a person who intended to use it as the pastor of Westboro Baptist was going right. to, mm -hmm. to burn the Quran. Um, and, and it seems to me a baker ought to have the right to say, I am not going to lend my artistic uh, skills to the expression of an idea I reject. How do you draw the line between that and you brought up Jewel earlier, Jewel saying we're not gonna sell cakes to, to gay couples. How do you, how does Jewel that... doesn't Jewel doesn't pretend to be artistic. That's so, that's the whole point of this artistic but expression. Yeah. But is, is it is it the artistic or is it the nature of the relationship? Right though, because again, if I come back to this example, if if somebody calls up and says, "I want a cake," and mm -hmm. the guy makes the cake, and two men walk in, mm -hmm. does that does that baker have the right at that point to say, "I'm not going to sell you this cake"? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I, I think as to Jewel, the answer would be. Um, they are not artistic in the creation of these cakes. Now, we could debate all day whether or not a guy baking cakes is an artist, <laughs> right? right? I, right, know, right. I, I concede that. Yeah. He says that he is. Uh, others have already said these people are yeah. artists. So if we stipulate that, that makes him different than Jewel. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, Jewel doesn't say we're, we're producing right. works of art. Mm -hmm. When we make sheet cakes that have wedding bells, you don't see many jewel cakes on cake box. Now, yeah. Cos Costco, yes, jewel, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> Moreover, so, and I guess I just say one more thing: jewel isn't an individual that possesses religious belief. Mm -hmm. Now, certainly, you know, post Citizens corporate United, versus, they're a corporate right, yeah. speaker and that yeah. sort of thing. But, but I don't think mm -hmm. the court has ever said uh, businesses hold uh, faith belief in that kind of context. Right, that Jewel could say, uh, you're sure. putting words in our mouth. Maybe they will, yeah. and maybe that's an extension of this case. But for right now, here's an individual artist saying, don't put words in my mouth. The, 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 the twist is that the words we want to put into his mouth are ones lots of people agree with. Yeah. I, I didn't see anybody jumping to the defense of Westboro Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. that's, that's powerful. So, yeah. Right? So I, I, it seems to me that what, this case can occur. And what makes this case interesting is that we are at this interesting cultural intersection in some ways, right? Where where you can have people talking about gay marriage as either identity or as um, 
ideas, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So, that's right. so um, that that it seems to me that's what it comes down to, right? Because you can't uh, you. you we have as society have accepted or we we have agreed to accept right legally speaking that if a you know an african american walks into a, a um if an african american walked into that bakery and the and the baker said my art i refuse to sell my art to a to a black person because of the idea of black people offends me right like you don't have the right to make that claim right you don't have the you right to discriminate against in Africa, because it's not an idea, right? It's, I mean, you can have that idea, but, but someone's identity takes precedence over that idea. And it seems to me that when we talk, when we're talking about gay rights, we're right at this sort of tipping point where all ideas have started changing, social acceptance has, has spread in this great, a tremendous amount. And so we're still at this point where that debate about whether or not gay marriage is, or you know, whether homosexuality is an identity or whether it's an idea that I can disagree with, it seems like that's kind of what this case comes down to in and, some ways. And would it be different if this was race? So if, if the argument was made along racial lines, would it be different? And again, to talk about your, Phil, your point about the idea that, that civil rights are different than where we are with sexual rights, would that would that make a difference? Well, it, it's an interesting question, but first, first to answer, uh, uh, my argument isn't uh, that uh, somehow this guy's beliefs are right. My argument is that right. Colorado is not making content neutral judgments right. about the words they are putting into mm -hmm. people's mouths. Right. And if Westboro can't get a cake because the religious objection is valid, then it seems to me uh, these people can't get a cake because the religious mm -hmm. objection isn't valid. Uh, this is, I mean, this. I the reason I think it's an easier case is, I mean, the essence of the First Amendment is you can't make uh, content-based judgments that distinguish some speech as bad, and uh, you know, in this kind of context, and other speech as good. Yeah. We don't but, like Westboro Baptist. I don't like Westboro Baptist Church, but uh, they've got a right but, to a cake. I, I totally. I, I mean, I, I I agree with you for, for the, the vast majority of it, right? But. <laughs> But it's still this question, in my mind, about um, the, the distinction between the idea and the person, right? So, uh, you know, we, we don't, you don't have a right, if I own a house, I do have, I have free speech rights, but saying I will not rent my house to African Americans is, is not, you know, you, I can't say that's my idea and I'm... <laughs> well, I'm not sure that's true. So I live by it. I'm not so, sure that's true and I think this is a case uh, that's bubbling up. You know, Airbnb uh, has had people this do exactly true. that. Right. And, and it seems right. to me last week, an Asian plaintiff filed a lawsuit on the grounds that a reservation was canceled when the owner determined that the potential renter was Asian. Um, but that's not speech. That's delivering an economic service. Right? Right. You're, so renting, you're renting a house rather than speaking via an artistic creation. Right, so that's the question. It might though, sound right? like is, angels is dancing on the head of right? a pin, but I, I come back to this is what lawyers do, my friend. But but Bill raised this really interesting question. Uh, my wife's Caribbean and she's black. Uh, it remains the case that in lots of conservative Baptist uh, uh, traditions, interracial marriage is is rejected. I'd say either I get the cake, and so does Westboro, and so does the Aryan Nation and so does the gay, or 
none of us get the cake. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think there's a plausible way of distinguishing the content of those messages. Mm -hmm. I, I'm with you, Phil, that, that the identity part of it matters, at least in terms of sort of job discrimination and that sort of thing. But the lawyers that brought this case mm -hmm. were clever enough to sort out that yep. the artistic expression part of it adds right. an entirely different dimension than just saying, I'm not going to hire Bill because he's gay or Tom because he's in an interracial marriage or something like that. Right. Now we got a speech dimension that's conveying ideas. And if, if boy, you go down the route of we're going to let state put words in people's mouths, but only the words the state likes. <laughs> I don't know. So we just it, got done talking about who our head of state is. Right, and right, and right. I'd just like to suggest, if you want state putting words in mouths, ask yourself, who's in charge of the state right now? But, but couldn't, couldn't the, could the court rule something along the lines that, that splits that difference in some ways by saying, yes, we, you have a right to, to say, I'm not going to put that on a cake. You don't have a right to discriminate based on the customer, right? I so think, if Westboro Baptist could, comes yes. in. Yes. So the way, if Westboro Baptist comes in, you can say, I won't make a cake that says, you know, yeah. black people are inferior. But sure. if you want a cake that has roses on it, yeah, I will sell it to you. I, I think, can't tell and you. I no. think that's exactly where they're headed. Mm. If I had to bet, yeah. that's what we're going to get. And, and that's essentially a repudiation, though, of Colorado picking and choosing the speech right. it likes right. and it doesn't like. But I, and that's a perfectly common sense approach, isn't it? Yep. Uh, treat everybody the same if you're selling neutral services. Right. Uh, right. But a minister doesn't have to bless a, a wedding. An imam doesn't have to bless a wedding. A rabbi doesn't have to bless a wedding that deeply conflicts with their religious belief. Mm -hmm. Nor does mm -hmm. a cake artist have to produce anything that conveys an idea that put, puts words in their mouth. I, I see you shaking your head about the first one. I think, I, yeah. You're ready to tell the imam they got to marry two men. There's a pretty big difference between, between uh, uh, in my mind, between a minister and a, a baker in terms of making distinctions based on you know same-sex marriage or whatever. I, oh, I, absolutely. I, I, to, to me, the, 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 a minister saying, I won't marry a gay couple, it would be like a baker saying, I refuse to make a carrot cake, right? Like, it's like I stand against it. I don't believe in it. Like my idea of what I know about baking, I'm not going to make a carrot cake, right? Like I, <laughs> you cross over into a private citizenship in some way when you're talking about a baker choosing who they're going to have as a customer. So Agreed. that that would be that. I mean, which it still comes back to, I, I think the whole like, so it, you would say, or, or the, the the argument that's being made, at least, is if uh, you know Joe and Bob come in and they want a cake that says Joe plus Bob forever or mm -hmm. whatever, that's an expression that they're unwilling to, you know, I'm not willing to put that on a cake. That's an artistic expression that I disagree with. Yes, that's the <sighs> argument in the case. How do you differ? How do you split that from the identity side of it? How do you split that from the discriminating based on the customer, right? So how can a like could a could a could a baker say, I will sell cakes <laughs> to <laughs> African American couples, but I refuse to put African American couples on the cake? Well, I think are, are they separable? I guess is my yeah. question. Uh, theoretically, the court could say you're not an artist. That's one answer. Mm -hmm. This yeah. isn't art. This is your baking things, right? Uh, and, and it's no different than painting the fender on an Oldsmobile or something like that. Uh, I don't think they're going to say that. Uh, the lower courts haven't. They've all accepted that this is 
uh, artistic expression. Um, I'm back to your original one. I think the way you split the baby here is to say message neutral services, deliver them uh, to all. Content specific services that would require uh, a violation of your conscience. And, and I, one of the things I was gonna mention is some of the cases that they decided last term that I think give us some cues here, but content specific messages that put words into people's mouths that they don't believe. Mm -hmm. uh, That's forced speech. I, I think it's compelled speech. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they're going to take, they haven't given cert yet, uh, the agency fees case relative to public sector unions. And, and it's the same underlying question. Can you compel a person to join a union and pay dues to make advocacy claims uh, that are inconsistent mm -hmm. with that person's beliefs? I think this court's going to take it, and I think they're going to say no. And, I, and again, yeah. I think it's going to be the same sort of notion, that you're putting words in a person's mouth they don't believe. In some ways, this is the most odious kind of government coercion there is. You must say this, whether you believe it or not, whether it violates your conscience or not. Right? I was a roofer for two years, but, and I was forced to join the union. <laughs> See, Nick, I told you gay wedding cake was fascinating. Good job, Bill. Couldn't, Good choice. Couldn't the, is the libertarian response to that that you can find a different job then? Yeah. Well, certainly that you can find a different baker. Yeah. yeah. Right. So and, I mean, on the but, union but not page, a different right? job. I'm trying to think that. The libertarian response is that you don't pay the agency fee. Mm -hmm. uh, right. But you either opt out of the benefits negotiated yeah. by the union. I recognize that you don't want freeloaders. So mm -hmm. the libertarian answer would be join the union and get the benefits and accept that they speak for you. Mm -hmm. Or don't join the union, right. don't yeah. accept the benefits and don't let them speak for you. But that latter option mm -hmm. isn't available to the public sector union mm -hmm. uh, workplaces today. All right, we gotta wrap up. All right, this is, oh, this is we great. Didn't get, <laughs> we didn't get to the two most important cases. Which ones? Well, the court could take up, uh, is gonna take up Jerry. Oh yeah, we didn't yeah. talk about Kushner. Uh, yeah. So we gotta come back uh, someday Tom, and talk about gerrymandering, because yep. this is my thing. Yeah. And there's a and wonderful Fourth Amendment cell phone privacy We were case. kicking this around. This oh, is these are the two that really matter. Uh, at some uh, levels, uh, I take the The cake doesn't matter to me. My <laughs> cell phone does. You have to come we back, drink more beer, and we'll talk more. All right. We also didn't talk in this hour and 20 minutes at all about health care and how we're in the middle of a vote that might be uh, killing yeah. I feel like that's, that's good, Phil. <laughs> um, Who wrote the most opinions last year? Ooh, wasn't uh, the Chief Justice? No, Clarence Thomas. Really? Now, here's the interesting one. Who was in the most majorities? Kennedy. No, that's that's the instant. Kagan. Really? Interesting. Wow. Mm -hmm. huh. Ninth Circuit remains the most overturned circuit in America. Ooh. No shock there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we have to do the cell phone yeah. case. Yes, yep. we, we will absolutely do that. Um, yeah, so we're we're super quiet. All right, yeah, sorry. Um, uh, Tom, thank you. It, yeah, it was, this it was great. great. It was fun. Yeah. And Phil, what a pleasure! It was really great to meet you. This is fun. Yeah, this is this is, this is why we do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, plugs, Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, at Barstool Politics. Yep. Uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul. Um, find our beer choices on the Untapped app. You can um, the username is Barstool Politics. Um, Barstool Politics at Yahoo.com for beer suggestions or um, uh, topic suggestions or if you just want to see what sending uh, a message to a Yahoo account was like back in the 90s. Um, 
there's that. Um, anything else from this you guys? Great. Yeah. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah cheers. <laughs>